Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Then turn with me to Genesis 25, verses 19 through 34. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Padamaran, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, Sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Genesis 27, 5 through 13. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them for them, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. And go, bring them to me. Genesis 27, 18 through 29. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, 
because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Esau his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, good morning, church family. It is um, always a pleasure and a privilege to be up here. I make sure to say that, and that's just not mundane speech or um, convenient to say. It really is an amazing privilege to um, speak to God's people. And I appreciate those who have come before um, here at the service to acknowledge what day it is. You know me well enough that I'm going to say something about Father's Day, but First and foremost, this is God's word for God's people, so praise be to God for um, him really opening his word up to us. It's an amazing story that I'm excited to, to dive into, but first, I do want to acknowledge um, that all of us today have come to church this morning to give of our time, our energy. Many of us, as I continue to see, are service to the local church, and I'm in amazement by the ways this church especially pours themselves out to this community. So with that, well done. And I believe it's also safe to say that each of us comes to be blessed by the worship, by community, by preaching, I hope, by teaching and caring of our children today. Amen? So what does it mean not to not only receive a blessing then, but to, which means to be blessed, but also to be a blessing to others? Essentially, to bless. As we have been going through the book of Hebrews, and this season focusing on Hebrews 11, we see a list of names and of people, God's people, who are truly blessed. If you remember, over here we have studied characters such as Noah, Abel, Sarah, most recently Abraham, as it relates to his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac. In Hebrews, there is the one then provocative line that speaks to what the subject is today. You ready? You heard it already. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings to both Jacob and Esau, Hebrews 11.20. And then in Genesis 25-27, through 27, which thank you, Anna, for reading that. I actually took out a chapter. There could have been all of 26. There could have been all of 27, and I'll relate to some of that. But we see, obviously, a more expounded story of these brothers and more so these sons. So really, Hebrews writer, I've been asking, did Isaac invoke blessings on both Jacob and Esau? What people of God does it mean to not only be blessed, 
but also as I expected to bless others, particularly those closest to us. Well, each parent, as you saw in the story, in this narrative in Genesis, desires for his or her son to be blessed, right? But with different motives. Isaac, as he loved Esau, chose him as the oldest. And we'll get to that. Rebecca, as she loved Jacob. And it's an interesting part in there that one of the only things we first read about Jacob is he was a quiet man. Mothers, maybe she just appreciated that he was quiet when he was walking around the house or doing his chores. Maybe. And so we see that Rebecca chose him and wanted her son Jacob to be blessed. Well, um, either way, we see that God will bless Isaac through his family, and specifically his offspring. And let me read that for us. And this is the first part of Genesis 27. It says here, when Isaac was old, And his eyes were dim so that he could not see. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die." So, after reading this, why is it that Jacob would be the one receiving this blessing that clearly is Esau's? Now, um, it's important for us to see a few things. One, is this same blessing for Abraham was also promised to Isaac. Let me explain. In Genesis 26, we see um, Moses in in the writing of, of Genesis talking about the narrative unfolding in order for Isaac to receive initially the blessing, and then pass that on, okay? It says here in Genesis 26, 1 through 5, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine, lots of famines in the Bible, that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven will be, and will give to your offspring all the nations of the earth. They shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charges, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So it is clear here what, or at least I'm trying to unfold for us, what exactly is this blessing? How does one define a blessing from God? Well, first, I would say it's communicated by God, right? Second, it includes a promise, both present and future. Third, it comes with the presence of God, which I would say is the greatest benefit. And fourth, it's the result of the faithfulness of those before. In this case, Abraham laying the groundwork for Isaac. With Isaac blessing Esau, he states that my soul may bless you before I die. Here we have the passing on of God's blessing through the firstborn son. Now, just as Isaac was Abraham and Sarah's first, right? Here, Esau is to be blessed, to pass along the legacy of God's faithfulness. But in this context, however, there's got to be something that trips us up and that 
I think gives us even more reason to pay attention to it and to read the, the, this Genesis story and to understand what is going on here. We must understand why is it that trickery and deception would bring about then a different result in Isaac's blessings of his sons. Well, it is clear from their birth that the younger would dominate the older in this context. Why? Because the Lord spoke to Rebekah. Remember this? Before she was even, um, even knew she was having twins, and he told her, prophesying, Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. That's Genesis 25, 23. Well, mysteriously, as God ordained it, Jacob would be the one to rule over Esau and to receive the blessing, meaning the passing along of God's faithfulness all the way down to the birth of Jesus, which meant that the land God gave Abraham and the offspring to pass along this blessing, I would also call privilege, and as we see, a godly, the godly lineage. I think some of you realize, especially maybe even more the old school traditions, that when we pray, actually this is true of both Jews and Christians, we pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we see this pattern then starting with this first story about them as brothers, which we must first take on, this interesting, difficult story of Esau selling his birthright for stew that Jacob gives him. Okay, right? You all track? You've read the story? The trouble I see with Esau is his, is in, this, in this account, is his short-sightedness. What he wanted was right before him, was what pleased him, and was not what he was to look forward, is not that that he was to look forward to in the promise that was going to be passed on to him by his father, right? As the firstborn, he is deserved of both a birthright and a blessing. And yet we see, receive, we see that he receives neither as a firstborn. Tough luck for Esau. The birthright, just in case you don't know, it's um, looking, researching a little bit, it's really supposed to be a double portion of inheritance, right? So we'll see, and you, and you should know that in that context, both sons would get an inheritance from their father, but the, the firstborn deserving the birthright would actually get a double portion. And not only of inheritance, but of honor, and really would then be called the head of household once Isaac dies. In Deuteronomy 21, um, God instructs his people about the birthright. That's where we get most of our research from. But there was also a commentary that mentioned that in Jewish law, the firstborn was then the one who would offer up sacrifices to God. So a big deal, a major responsibility, and then privilege to be the firstborn. So in Esau's short-sightedness, he is not able to see the value of this future inheritance for the present benefit of receiving food and drink. Now, I would say that sounds familiar, at least to me. Desiring the finite and temporary versus the greater benefit long-term. With our relationship with God and our status here on earth, we need to continually realize that what is offered here on earth pales in comparison to what is to come. Now, as finite beings ourselves, this is hard for us to comprehend. Maybe because we don't have a great idea of what this life is to come will actually be like. Now, as always, I'll give an example of uh, potentially my shortcomings, sightings, or naivety, but here we go. Sarah Kay and I, my wife, dug up the other day 
praise God, a U.S. Treasury bond. It was given to her back in 2004, and my reaction, people, was, yes, free money. Sarah Kay, you never even told me about this. Just pumped, elated. And for those of you in finances, you're like, just, just wait, Connor. Okay, but I was thinking diapers for Jack, that's my boy, a new swing, a new setup, a new renovation. Who knows? This is going to be worth a lot, right? So, of course, we go on the computer. Now, let me just tell you, it's a $50 savings bond, okay? Which, of course, thank you. Yeah, bond, okay. Um, which, of course, in my naivety, I say, wow, it's probably worth 75 to 100 here in 2016. Kids, how much later is that, 2004, 16? Okay, tw 12 years later, Ben? Okay, so, well, I go to the website, and there's a savings bond calculator. Here I go, I'm getting nervous, just kind of that nervous excitement, sweating at the palms. Enter the date, the value, the bond number, and $13 it is worth right now. And so I know, these savings bonds now, they're issued the full amount when the 25 or 50 year date is up. Like, you have to wait to get that $50. It's not like, hey, start with 50 and then it accumulates. No, 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 no. But again, in my short-sightedness, I took a step back and said, well, $13 is more than zero. <laughs> and thanks to my wife, we put it back away in the drawer. So we made the right decision. And although trite, what God has promised us, right? In this instance, Esau that who Esau couldn't see is he does give us the face value, the full shilling, the greatest of promises, inevitably better than what we have now. And yet every day, we, at least I, am tempted to cash in, to sell my birthright for a bowl of stew. What else, though, in this story could be happening, right? Like, come on, this is a smart guy, Esau's firstborn son, he understands. He knows he's got a um, sharp mother as well. He later deceives him. But let's, just, let's give Esau, or Esau a little bit of credit, right? And let's note this. Isaac was 60 years of age when they have the twins, right? And maybe it is possible that Esau, Esau takes on the approach saying, my old pop, he's too old. There's not much that he can pass along to me. Forgetting, of course, about the many riches that Isaac had accumulated during his time in Gerar. You can read about it, well upon well or upon well that Isaac and his men dug up and which really was gonna become a rich inheritance on this earth for his sons. At the end of Genesis 25, the writer writes in several translations that Esau despised his birthright, right? Giving it a negative connotation and a sense that he wasn't too into this birthright in the first place. Well, this is where I'm fascinated by the only other story that comes to mind, at least, with a father-son relationship being tainted. Clearly enough, at least in my mind, and one that I think all of you, most of you know in the New Testament, right? It's Luke 15, where Jesus tells the parable, yes, about the prodigal son. Here, the son chooses to leave his father prematurely, not valuing what the father had for him in neither property nor relationship. He leaves, he forsakes his relationship, and shortchanges what could have really been his true inheritance, hence a blessing from his father. Now then, there's a third possibility in what many of us experience, I imagine, when it comes, if this is applicable to you, with words with a sibling, right? Okay, you want my birthright, bro? In exchange for a meal, sure, whatever, why not? Flippantly agreeing to something that surely would be taken back later. 
once the dust settles and the hunger dissipates, right? Well, regardless with birth order, regardless with birth order being such a significance, especially in that context, this is a major deal that the older would serve the younger. It would forsake his prominent position as the firstborn in order to satisfy his hunger and his thirst. Or, as we said in the second scenario, because of his doubt of his father's provision. Or, maybe due to petty talk that leads to much more than hoping or certainly expecting. Let me point then right away that there's a parallel here to our Savior, Christ. Okay? He came to us as God's firstborn son. Therefore, should have received God's birthright and blessing, God's rich inheritance for his son. Yes? And yet, he forsook all of that for the sake of God's plan to save the world through him. And it was the Father's will, it was Jesus' obedience that made this happen. Instead of blessed, Jesus was stricken. Instead of given inheritance, he was stripped and put on a cross. Instead of double-fold of God's rich inheritance, he became bankrupt and without a place to lay his head in this world, right? So could there be some redeeming part of this story know that, knowing the redeeming story of Christ? Could God turn around what was looking for Esau like a dead end? Well, in order to further enter into the story, we need to grasp more fully what is the Father's blessing. The blessing, one of prominence and superiority, if we've talked about, again, not granted to Esau, but to Jacob, who then goes on to fulfill this blessing, right? This is the blessing. This is what Isaac tells what he thinks is Esau that ends up being Jacob. God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you, Lord over your brothers. Again, intended for the firstborn, this story with the birthright then foreshadows what happens with Isaac is old, when he's dying, and when he finally wants to bless, give this blessing to his oldest son. We should see it in today's terms as handing over the inheritance check, revealing he is the benefactor, the benefactor in a living will, giving him keys to the house that maybe Esau grew up in, all as contemporary examples. Trickery was used, yes, first by Rebekah, and then, remember, passed down to Jacob in order to assure that Jacob would get this blessing. And we see how unrightfully the father is deceived, I think, and certainly this is not to be a motivation for us to have God bless us. No, that's not the lesson here, I'm pretty sure. If deception leads to God giving the blessing that maybe you don't even rightfully deserve, no. But we see that the, Lord, the will of the Lord is still carried out. Why would the blessing be passed along in this manner? What does it say about Isaac as a father and his character? And then I want to ask, what does it really say about God and his promise? First, for Isaac, we do get a peek into his character before his sons are born. This is after Abraham has died, and this is when they're in Gerar. It's in Genesis 26, and we see how God commanded him, like I'd read, and Rebecca to stay and settle in Gerar, right? They do that, and yet Isaac deceived those around him, including King Abimelech, telling him that Rebecca was really his sister in order to not die because of her. This is later on, Genesis 26. He felt threatened by these foreign people, the Philistines, and decided to save himself first, then protect his wife. Woo! So we can all agree 
that Isaac is an imperfect husband, soon to be an imperfect father. And yet God chose him to lead his people and to carry on God's promise. People of God, I believe God uses someone like Isaac to truly reveal God's character, that he can and will do powerful, miraculous things amidst unremarkable people. We've heard this from Pastor Howard as he has begun for us the Hall of Fame series. Look at Isaac. He's listed as one of them. The reason is not because of any merit, I promise you, that he had, but because of God choosing him and then blessing him to reveal God's own character of love, protection, and generosity towards his children. Then we have the deceit of Rebecca. She goes against her husband's will and all standard practices in order to make sure that her favorite son gets the father's blessing. Was she motivated to do this by the prophecy given to her about the older serving the younger? Maybe. Or was it sheer favoritism and selfish desire that caused her to go out of her way to make sure Jacob, not Esau, is blessed? Well, finally, we have Jacob, who knows clearly from his upbringing, from his culture, that, this is, that the right's and wrong, and therefore this is wrong, who knows that in both instances he tricked his brother, and who receives the greater promises, promise and essentially becomes Isaac's first and Rebekah's firstborn. Why this conniving? And as an optimist, why all this lying? And I got to say, what did Esau do to deserve this treatment? It perplexes me. Hopefully you too. And in a worldly, politically correct culture that we live in now, this would not be a positive heroic story, right, for characters such as Isaac and Jacob. They would not make the world Hall of Fame, for they lied. They gained wealth without earning any of it, at least that the public would know about. So case in point, look at our society who's held up a character like Muhammad Ali, right, with amazing admiration, such respect for a man who fought for his rights, who took on efforts to not only be the greatest in the ring, but also for this movement for civil rights, Isaac? Not sure he would be able to hold up a candle to such greatness, and yet he is chosen, used, and blessed by God for generations upon generations, again, down to the lineage of Jesus Christ. People of God, we know when we come here and we confess and admit that we are no Ali's. We are surely not calling ourselves the greatest in any area, and yet we have on us and through us and in front of us the blessing of God Almighty, who, just to say it plainly, I think is the only greatest that deserves such a title. This blessing from God is extended then, once again, not by merit, not by character, not by greatness, not by track record, by, but by the promise. All in all, it's not the happiest or most satisfying of stories, I think. Esau goes on to extend his family line, which ends up being an antagonist for the line of Jacob, creating strife, fighting, and even to this day, division in areas of the Middle East. And the blessing from Isaac to, to Esau doesn't seem like much of a blessing. You ready? Esau does get a blessing from his father, Isaac. But here it is. Away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. What? By your sword you shall live. Huh? You shall serve your brother. <laughs> Not that blessed, if you ask me. The story continues then of God revealing his rescue plan through his people, as imperfect as they are, before he then reveals his ultimate plan, right? That is choosing the firstborn son to be the sacrifice of sacrifices, to put an end to sin's victory on mankind. I want to make this clear. There's no 
deceiving God. There's no fooling him. And yet this is how God's lineage plays out. Through Isaac, the deceived, and now Jacob, the deceiver. Keep reading on your old time in Genesis, Exodus, and there are plenty of stories where God needs to clean up the mess. Well, we serve a God whose blessings are real, true, and irrevocable, right? He's faithful and showering gifts of blessings down to his children without fail. And people of God, we are not deserved of this blessing, of these promises, of these riches, of his inheritance that he has granted to us as those redeemed by whose blood? Christ alone. So the question has to be asked, well, okay, well, this, yet there is, what is still required of us, Connor? And as we know from God's word, faith, faith in a God who is true to his blessings, faith in a savior who was sent, sent down, who lived a holy, just life, who laid down his life in order for us to be God's redeemed and who came back in order for us to have eternal life, right? In that sense, we are the undeserved Jacob. We're not the firstborn who by law receives the double-fold inheritance, but able nonetheless to see the Father's blessing truly come to fruition due to his mercy and love through Jesus Christ. Okay, call me susceptible and gullible. Paul's right. It is a hallmark holiday. But I really do enjoy celebrations like Mother's Day and now today like Father's Day. And no, not just because I am a new father, even though that's a nice benefit. In studying, contemplating the character of God, I think such days are necessary. Yep, I said it. Not because they're Christian holidays, but because they aren't, but because they should lead us to introspection and observation of how it is we are honoring those who have gone before us who have been faithful. And so I'm thinking more about this day, this time around, and really and truly, all I want is a blessing. I mean, okay, a new tool, sure, updated wardrobe, why not? Tickets to the Panthers game, I'll go. But most earnestly, what I want is the respect and honor from my son. Now, I know moms and dads firsthand that it's hard work, but it's satisfying and, yes, a blessing, especially when, even from a young age, my son can acknowledge through a smile, a laugh, a quasi-hug, that I'm his dad, that I love him, and that I know him through and through, and, yes, want to bless him. Looking back at Isaac, why is he highlighted as one of those in the Hall of Fame? Why do we get more of the story on him and not maybe on others in the lineage? Well, I'm convinced it's because God wants us to know what it means to receive a blessing from the true Father, from our Father in heaven, as the greatest model for us dads and for us sons and daughters, all of us. Although unconventional and certainly imperfect, we see in Isaac a man living to a ripe old age and then passing along his blessings to his sons. In trying to capture the scene to relive this scenario, I see a dad who is so proud to call to his son to tell him how blessed he is, how beautiful, how fruitful he will be under God's loving care as he himself is about to depart. If we relive it ourselves, it's the father, any father, giving himself fully to his son, passing along what has been given to him and thus blessing him. People of God, fathers, mothers, sons, and daughters, in this room, in this church, in this family, let us take on the approach of Isaac, truly then more perfectly of Christ this day.
For it is our Lord, our Savior in particular, who instead of accepting the praise, the honor, the glory due his name, he looked out into the crowds with compassion, blessed them, and then laid down his very life for him, for her, for you, and for me. This Father's Day, this the Lord's Day, I pray that you would truly be blessed by being a blessing for others, right? That's why I'm calling this blessed to be a blessing. I know it's kind of cheesy, maybe cliche, but that truly is what's going on here. My greatest reward this day, it would be the opportunity, the privilege to hold my boy in this context, to hug him, to kiss him, and tell him, God bless you, son. Likewise, to those who are older, wiser, father figures in my life, to acknowledge in a world where spoken words are more and more obsolete, to say, you are a blessing. Today, whether you're experiencing the blessings of God firsthand, as a father, as a mentor, as a discipler, guys, or if you're receiving and fathered well by someone, who, whether he is biologically or spiritually in that father role, may you be encouraged that each of these relationships is a true blessing and an opportunity we have as Christians to both receive and to give. Not material goods, not an earthly inheritance, but a long-term, eternally-minded one that's worth every day on this earth waiting for patiently, and I would say eagerly. Not the bowl of soup, but the rich inheritance that God has for us. What God has blessed you with is a father. Yes, a father, capital F, heavenly father, who cares for you no matter your imperfections as a son, daughter. He's come And in place of you, he sent his son who obeyed and who took on sin and even became sin for you so that you and I could be called children of God. As I pray um, and finish up here, we will um, acknowledge, I want you just just in your own time, um, as the worship team comes back up, what does it mean that God has given you blessings as maybe a father a mentor role or blessing for someone who is poured into you or you may be asking desperately this morning i realize i don't have someone like that lord i don't have someone that has passed along or has shared with me the blessings that come from god in that relationship what i do know you have and what i am encouraged about as we pray is you have a heavenly father who loves you who has blessed you already in the here and then who has given you rich inheritance eternally in the not yet Amen? Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your blessings, for the privilege it is today to be a blessing. Father, I acknowledge that these are not earthly things that I'm talking about when I say blessing. I realize even in this world, even maybe as Christians, we sometimes want to contort this word and say, oh, it's blessing as a Christian means I'm rich here. No, not necessarily. I thank you, God that you promise us richness with you and in you, and most of all, because we have you as a father. God, we are rich today, and we are blessed that we have a heavenly father looks out for us. I also acknowledge that we ourselves deceive. We take shortcuts. We shortchange what is meant to be our eternal inheritance, and yet your love and your compassion and your blessing for us remains. How faithful you have been to us, and on this day, may we claim the inheritance as your children, only because of what Christ has gained for us. We are heavenly bound. We are justified. We are sanctified by faith alone. And thus in this world, to yes, be blessed, and yes, to be a blessing. Help us to be that. 
to do that, to extend your message of grace, of love, of mercy, of salvation to a world, God, that's fleeting, that's hopeless without your fatherhood. Thank you, Lord, as we sing how deep your love is for us, Father. Thank you that we can mean it, that we can praise you. Let these words of yours sink in that we are covered enormously by the blessing of a heavenly father, by you. Thank you for our relationship. We love you, Father, as your sons and daughters. Amen.